you know, this is, we're studying the book of Revelation. The Lord is, is speaking to his people in the time between Jesus' resurrection and his returning to make all things new. He's visiting John, his, his apostle, his beloved disciple, who is stuck on this prison island in the Roman Empire, waiting to just die. And he's visiting him with this vision, with this revelation, the revealing, the pulling back of the curtain on the way things are now in, in ways that you can't fully see with your physical eyes. You need the Lord to open your spiritual eyes and open your mind to show you these things. But he's also showing us things that are coming, things that are soon to take place. And what he's telling us today as he tells us tells John and tells us about who he calls in this continuing vision that we've been in with the dragon and the beasts is Babylon the harlot. And what he's telling John and what he's telling us is that there is something very, very alluring about Babylon the harlot and my people need to know that so that they can live in this world without joining themselves to her. So we're going to be in Revelation uh, 17.1 through 19.2. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but, is, but it belongs to the seven, and it comes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they are the beast 
and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for, the, uh, for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her, sin, her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. She has glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since she in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of sin and wood, all kinds of articles of ivory all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And in all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. Which city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she had been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. 
for your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. After this, I heard what seemed what to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immortality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, especially when we have a long passage like that, I just want to remind us that there is power even in the public reading of the word of God. Um, and that we come here and that the Lord meets us in a special way as we read his word, as we sing his word and we pray and we preach his word. So um, I can tell you this as a preacher, um, nothing has humbled me more than trying to preach through the book of Revelation. And um, you are experiencing my limits as a, a preacher. So I'm going to pray for us and ask the Lord to do what only he can do. Father, we are, we are here in your midst because you have gathered us. Uh, Lord, we are your people, um, and there are likely even people here who are not your people. But Lord, I pray that you would open all of our eyes, all of our ears, all of our minds, all of our hearts to desire you, to see you, to worship you, uh, to be, become yours, to give ourselves to you, and to continue to give ourselves to you. And uh, I just pray that you would... Um, work in this very limited vessel, uh, that you would speak your word through me to us, myself included, uh, and give us, speak to us what we need to hear from you in a way that only you can through the power of your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I'm going to go through this passage line by line. I'm just kidding. Um, not doing that. Um, basically, the flow of where we're going this morning is, is one, just to talk about the allure of this woman. Remember, this is a sign. This is not an actual woman. This is a sign of something else that John is seeing the world as it truly is on a spiritual plane uh, through these visual signs. And so we're going to see this woman and kind of talk about who she is and why she's alluring. And then we're going to have the light of the gospel uh, shine upon her and upon her work so that we can uh, be sober and, and see things as, as we need to see them to have life. In Christ. So uh, first, you get this invitation from this angel uh, John receives. He says, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. Basically, this invitation, Jesus is commanding this angel to give John this vision because he desperately needs to see it. Because there is something that we will see this later as this passage unfolds, that there is something about this woman that is very alluring and it would do John well and it would do all of God's people well who will receive this word from John to see this woman in action and to see what she is doing in the world and, and what is actually going on behind the curtain. He says, I saw, he, he, the angel takes John in the spirit into this wilderness place, not a good wilderness, uh, but a, a, a bad wilderness, a desolate wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast 
that was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels, etc., holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. So this picture of this woman, uh, first we see her riding the beast that, if you've been with us, came up in, in chapter 13, came up out of the water at the call of the dragon. The dragon is Satan. The dragon is the enemy of God and all of God's people. And the dragon summons out of the water this beast, which we kind of called the beast of political power. These are uh, the beast represents all of those kingdoms of the earth that are full of power and wealth and might that have their way and set themselves up as opposed to God and say, no, no, I'm God. There is no God except for me. This was written at a time when that was literally happening in the Roman Empire when the, whoever was the current Caesar would literally say, I am God or I am the son of God and you will all worship me. And they would go to houses of worship to worship this man as if he was God who is setting himself up in the place of God. And so John is given this vision of this beast of political power, and we see this woman riding on this beast. And basically what this is saying is this woman is all that is alluring that comes along with that wealth and power. It's wherever the epicenter of the world is, be it Babylon or Rome or New York City or L.A. or Nashville or wherever it is. It is this woman is riding on the beast. She's carried along by the power of the beast in, in form of wealth and political power, which makes the things that she does possible, which is um, she is all about luxury and finery and sexual gratification. It's all the fun and all the bells and whistles and all the glitter on top of all of this wealth and power. It's all the things that allure and entice. And it, it talks here, uh, John sees this happening. Um, it, she, is, she is using her wiles and her uh, wine to get people drunk and entice them to their own destruction. She's always riding on this political beast, and I'll just say about some of what gets said later, the way that the beast attacks her, it's like um, everybody wants to have her. So when this kingdom is the epicenter of everything and all luxury and all trend setting and everything, um, somebody wants to come and defeat that kingdom so that they can be the center of everything. And so it's this constant turmoil that, that ultimately results in her ultimate overthrowing uh, in the process of the Lord coming back to make all things new. It says, on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. She is clothed in scarlet and purple. Those are colors of royalty and seduction. That's colors of power. And she is dressed in these fine clothes and these beautiful, expensive jewels, and she's holding this golden cup that looks so alluring, but inside the cup is abominations and sexual immorality and ultimately death. But her name, it says, is Babylon the Great. Well, at the time that this is written, uh, Babylon was not a world power anymore. So what, what gives? Well, all through scripture, Babylon is sort of the representative of kingdoms of this world that would hold themselves up in place of God in his kingdom and say, no, 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 we're God. Um, and this all began literally with Babel in Genesis chapter 11. If you were with us, we went through the first few chapters of Genesis uh, last spring. Uh, we, we preached on this, but 
that's the story of the Tower of Babel. It's when people gathered together at Babel to build a tower, and they say, let's build ourselves a city with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. That can sound uh, morally neutral until you know the context, which is uh, we don't want to live in God's city. We don't want God's name on us. We don't want to be married to God and and be his spouse and have his name on us. We want to be apart from him. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want our own name. We don't want to be married to him. We want to be great instead of him. We will build a tower up to the heavens and make a name for ourselves that has nothing to do with him. And and what we know from that story is the result of living that way is that you are destined to be uh, wanderers. It says in uh, in reference to uh, Cain, who was living this way, that he settled into wandering. His whole life was settling into this way of life that is never fulfilling. He is always wandering. He is always in confusion, always restless, always dissatisfied, always purposeless, always full of apathy, always chasing feelings and chasing things that other people are chasing, hoping that I don't even know what they're chasing. I don't even know why we're chasing these things, but maybe they know something we don't. Because when you set yourself up opposed to God instead of becoming his, that is all that is left for you, is you are just You are settling into a life of restlessness where there's no peace, there's no satisfaction. Any peace or satisfaction that you experience is fleeting and it's it's because circumstances have aligned, but those circumstances are always shifting and they're they're gonna misalign and they're gonna change and you're gonna be full of anxiety again. It's what Ecclesiastes calls striving after wind. That's why Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He's the prince of nothing. He offers you things that are so enticing through this woman, through the, the prostitute, the mother of all prostitutes, Babylon the Great, the, the big shining city and all of its splendor and all of its trendiness and all of the, the cultural icons and all of the wealth and all of the power and all the sexual seduction and all of the affluence and all of it, but it's all empty. It's all empty. She is contrast to the woman of Revelation 12, the woman giving birth, the woman who is the people of God, the woman who is the bride of Jesus, the woman who is loved, the woman who is, who is claimed and kept and cared for and provided for, giving birth to the, the new life of God into the world. This woman, on the other hand, will not be claimed. She will not be loved. She sets herself up in opposition to the Lord and to his kingdom. She is a prostitute, and she is teaching others to be prostitutes. She is leading others into prostitution. She is giving birth to other prostitutes who only know how to use and be used, who only know how to relate to other humans in a transactional way. And the reference to her sitting on many waters is a, is a direct reference. The, the, the seven hills is a reference to Rome, uh, and her sitting on the many waters is a reference to uh, the Euphrates and this like extensive canal system basically saying she is at the epicenter of everything, and at this time it was the Roman Empire. She's at the epicenter of everything, and through these many waters, she is getting her ways out into all the world. Her way of being a prostitute and teaching others to be a prostitute is, is quote-unquote, in the water now. 
and everyone's drinking it. It's infecting and affecting everyone. And as John continues to see this woman in this vision, the truth about who she is and what she's doing becomes more and more clear. It says, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So we go from this just alluring, beautiful vision to we see, then we see what is in her cup is actually disgusting, and she's giving that cup to everyone else. And then we see even a step further into specifics is that she, is, she herself is enjoying getting drunk on the blood of the people of God. What she's doing is not value neutral. She is a product of the machinations of the, of the dragon who is opposing God and all of his people and wanting to destroy all of God's people and all of creation. And this woman is a way that he does that. This woman in her luxury and in her, sexual, uh, her sexuality, she is drunk with the blood of the saints. Um, this is like on a cosmic level, the woman that helped uh, Jeffrey Epstein um, take advantage of all those girls. This is like the Ghislaine Maxwell on a cosmic level who was found guilty of sex trafficking, who, according to the, the DOJ, assisted, facilitated, and participated in the abuse of human souls by helping recruit, groom, and abuse. So the, this woman on the beast is that to the dragon. Is she is enticing the world. She is drawing the world to herself to enjoy what she has to offer, but what she's really doing is much darker. What she's really doing is working as an enslaver for the enemy of God and the enemy of all of God's people. It's, it's as uh, prophesied in Nahum 3-4, which I know you guys all know this. Um, it says, and all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms. She is destroying human souls by means of beautiful faces, beautiful bodies, luxuries, and fine things. Greed and lust, getting everyone drunk on these things so that the dragon can destroy them. But y'all, listen to this. Even after hearing all of this and seeing all of this, John, who is in the spirit, who is in the presence of an angel, says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. She was still attractive to him, even in this heavenly vision where God is revealing who she really is and what she's really about. John is saying, if I'm honest, I marveled greatly when I saw her. She was beautiful. She was enticing. She was alluring. And y'all, let that be a, a massive atomic bomb of sobriety for us. If the apostle John, who walked alongside Jesus and who was receiving this heavenly vision from Jesus in the presence of a heavenly being, that whenever anyone sees an angel, they fall on their face and they think they're about to be killed because this being is so great because they stand in the presence of the holy God. If he is in this place and sees this woman and knows her motives have been revealed to him and he still says, I marveled greatly, then we need to be very sober about who this is 
and, and how we can be affected by this woman who is at work in the world. And thank God then we get this break at the beginning of chapter 18 where it's almost like somebody comes and turns the lights on at a drunken rave or whatever. <laughs> Some kind of party that was really going downhill. Um, it's like when the lights come on and you just see things as they really are and they lose their luster. It says, after this, John says, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was made bright with his glory. He literally is shining the whole earth is full of this angel's glory because he has been with God. He has been in the presence of God. And our God is shining this light for John and for us to keep us sober. And this angel calls out the reality. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. There is no future for you with this woman. She is desolate, she is defeated, she is disgusting, and she is dead. And he says, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. This is no small thing. This is no small thing. And the Lord is calling to all of his people in all times to come out of this city that is the great prostitute. This is like the call, the original call to God's people when he began, uh, made a people with Abraham. And he called him and said uh, in Genesis 12, leave your country and your kindred and your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. This is no longer your home. Come out of her, go to a new place. How, how do we do this? Well, this is what Jesus was praying in John 17. And Jesus makes really clear, this call to come out of Babylon the Great is not a call to leave a certain city or to leave the earth or to, to everyone go be Amish. That's not what this is. It's not a physical call. It's a spiritual call. Jesus, when he was praying for his disciples before he went to the cross, he said to his father, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. That's not what we're talking about here. But that you keep them from the evil one that you would keep them sober to the schemes of the enemy who's at work in the world, who is orchestrating all things in the world toward keeping people separate from God. My people are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, Father, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So he's not asking that we catch the first train to heaven. He's not asking that we go create our own colony in the woods somewhere that, trust me, would get weird and awful in its own way. He's saying, no, no, you stay where you are. You stay in New York City. You stay in L.A. You stay in Nashville. You stay in these places where this woman is doing her thing. But you, you are not of her. You are not of her. You are separate. You do not derive life from her. And what she is offering, you don't accept. Do not drink from her cup. And the way that we come out of her, even though we physically remain here in her presence, is to know that we are loved. We don't need the harlot because we have a heavenly husband. We are married. 
We are loved. We are married. And to know that we are in constant need of coming out of her. Because this is the water that we swim in. This is not a one-time movement. This is a constant movement. If we're going to live here, it's like when Peter goes to Jesus and says, you just need to wash my whole body then. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're clean, but I do need to wash your feet because you're always out there in the world and your feet are going to get dirty. And that's what he's saying to us here is you are in constant need of coming out of this woman because this is where you live. It's going to get into you. It's going to become a part of you. But don't fear, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who has set this whole thing up to draw you away from him. You are safe in Christ. But we always need to be offering our lives up to Jesus and to one another to say, will you help me to see where I'm getting drunk with this woman and the things that she's offering to, to me? And here's some signs that we're getting tipsy that we might start to sound like these kings and merchants and sailors who are mourning her loss. Listen to this. It says, um, all in verse 11 of chapter 18, the merchants of the earth weep and mourn when they see her destroyed. Are they sad for her? No, they don't care about her. It's transactional. What are they sad for? Since no one buys their cargo anymore. They are sad because the things that they like and enjoy, no matter the cost to themselves or to anyone else, are being interrupted. And keep in mind, these merchants were selling human souls as cargo. And they're like, oh man, this is awful that, that she just got torn apart because I can't sell my stuff anymore. That there's a sadness for this shallow, empty things of the world when, when they don't go our way. That there's, um, that my value system looks like the great prostitute's value system. That I judge myself based on my wealth and my attractiveness. That I judge other people that way. That I determine the value of other people based on what they can offer me in those areas or what they represent in those areas. Y'all, I'm so guilty of this. I'm so shallow. That, that is something that the Lord has just brought very clearly to me this week as I've been in this passage is I live in her value system all the time. Just little thoughts, little judgments that are constant about myself and about other people. It makes me sad when I see myself becoming less attractive, when I see myself becoming less wealthy or less desirable for any host of reasons based on her scale. And it, and it makes me look at people wrongly. I assess the value of someone based on what they look like or what they could possibly offer or how much money they have or how much power they have. That is sin. That is wrong. And we live in a constant state of anxiety and self-centeredness because that is how we are being trained to see the world. And it makes me wish for and even pray for things that would destroy me. Think about that. Think of how many prayers that we offer to the Lord that are basically asking us to help us drink more out of this woman's cup. 
Would you help me make more money? Would you help me get this position? Would you help me be more beautiful? Would you help me do all these things? And 1 John 5.14 says, this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And I would also submit, this is also the confidence we have, is that he is our good shepherd, and we ask anything that will lead us to destruction, he won't answer that prayer. Because so many of the things that we pray for we're really asking him to make us independent and more and more and more able to be worshiped by other people and by ourselves. And Jesus is saying, I love you too much for that. I'm not going to answer that prayer. And so maybe instead of shaking our fist at him, we need to be saying thank you for all the ways that we feel inferior. Thank you that I'm not as wealthy as I want to be. Thank you that I don't have the position I want to have. Thank you that I'm not as attractive as I want to be, that my face looks like this, that my hair looks like this, and my body looks like this. Because maybe you're saving me. Maybe you're not trying to destroy me. Maybe I'm trying to destroy myself. Y'all, we have all drank from the cup of her abominations. We have all become drunk with her poisonous sexual immorality of the body and the heart. We have all thrown off God's wedding ring. We've all valued things over people. We've all assessed people's worth, including our own like commodities, using others and assenting to being used. So the question is, what hope is there for us? Well, thanks be to God, who is the father of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, the only faithful one who has never given himself to this woman. He is the only faithful one who has never drank from her cup. The harlot is drinking the blood of the saints, and Jesus is drinking God's wrath and giving his blood for the saints to make us saints. The harlot is attractive and wealthy in order to destroy, and Jesus becomes poor and lowly in order to make us rich. The harlot seduces, and Jesus makes people see so that we can live. The harlot sees people as pawns and tools, and our Jesus sees people as precious and as friends. So what we're going to do now is, um, I know we're, we're a little later than usual, and if you can stay, we'd love you to stay. Um, we're going to have a time of worship, and we're going to bring out the kneelers. And uh, it just became clear to me that there are a lot of places where I have been and am still drinking out of this woman's cup. And uh, we're just going to have a time of worship, but we're also going to have a time where you can, you can do it in your seats or you can come up front to the kneelers and just talk to the Lord about this, confess these things, ask him to show you these things that you're not even aware of. And we're going to have a few people up here who are ready to pray with you and for you. If you want somebody to help pray, uh, maybe for things that you have known for a long time but have just felt powerless to do anything about, um, we would love to, to pray with you. So let's continue in worship. <laughs> 